titled this method The Genuine Article. But when I mentioned it to uh, someone, the blank stare convinced me maybe it wasn't the best name. So someone suggested that the real deal might be a fair translation in today's vocabulary. So I call this the real deal. Have a, let, me, let me start by just reading the passage and, uh, and then we'll think about some of what it means. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. But if, we, if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. think I managed to miss some of the passage here. Let me grab my Bible. I apologize. I have my notes and everything should be on my notes, but sometimes it isn't. So that was verse 11. Let me continue in verse 12 of chapter 3. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were hardened, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day... When Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror 
the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The genuine article about 17 years ago, I uh, actually 18 years ago, I determined to propose to my um, wife, wasn't my wife then, obviously, and uh, so we went to a store and uh, we made a purchase of a diamond ring. And uh, I didn't think about it much at the time, but a question could rise in somebody's mind, am I purchasing the genuine article or the real deal? Is this really a diamond ring? And you might say, well, is it really so important, you know, if it looks like a diamond ring, isn't that just as good as if, as, as if it is really a diamond ring? You know, let's say we couldn't tell, probably didn't do us that much harm, unless we tried to resell it at some point, you know, and found out it wasn't worth as much as we thought it was. But uh, the hope is that, you know, uh, it's forever, and so we don't have to resell it, so it doesn't really matter that much. What if it is, uh, next picture, uh, your doctor? You go to your doctor, you have some problem, and you need help. What if he's not the real deal? Right? What if he's not really a doctor? Right? Just someone who managed to kind of fake his way into the position and your confidence. That's now a little bit more serious, because you might be having a person who's making medical decisions, giving you medical advice, who's not really qualified to make those kind of decision. And uh, the result is, instead of getting better, you're getting worse. Right? That's a little bit more important in that case to know if it's the real deal, if he is the genuine article. How about the next one? What if it's uh, what we would often call a minister? Uh, it would be a priest if you go to some churches. Uh, others might uh, call him a pastor. And what if is he is not the real deal? What if he's not truly a minister of God, but a person who somehow made his way into your confidence, and he is giving you spiritual advice, is uh, practicing spiritual things in you? And if he is not the real deal, what are the consequences? You could be misled in things of eternal consequences. How do you know if someone is the real deal? Paul, in our passage, starts by saying, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? When I was in the store purchasing the diamond ring, I was given something else along with that diamond ring. Can you show the next uh, slide, please? Yeah, it's a certificate, right? It's a piece of paper, and on it were printed the details regarding the diamond that I purchased. It told me what grade diamond it was, how much it weighed, had somebody's signature on it. So in a sense, it came with a letter of commendation. There was a piece of paper that came along with that diamond and assuring me that I was buying the real deal. Uh, if you go to the doctor, 
office, you might see something like this on the wall of the, uh, of the doctor's office, right? A certificate, again, a piece of paper. It might be inside of a nice frame with a glass cover in front of it, and it will assure, assure you that this doctor is the real deal. He really did uh, graduate and uh, received his MD, and therefore you can entrust him with your medical decisions. And people do the same things for uh, pastors or priests. I think the next slide doesn't look that much different than this one. But yeah, you could have some sort of, you don't have to read the fine print, it's okay. Uh, but basically, you know, a statement, a piece of paper saying, really, I am a qualified minister of God because I received this degree in whatever uh, it happens to be. And so it appears that in Corinth, Paul says, or oh, do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Some people came to the church at Corinth with a letter, a certificate of some sort that assured the believers in Corinth that they could trust these teachers that came to Corinth. Now, the problem, as we find in 2 Corinthians, is these teachers were not the real deal. Yes, they had a piece of paper behind them, but they were not true ministers of God. And uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians is really defending himself against the attacks he's been suffering from these false teachers. These false teachers don't just teach false doctrine, but because their doctrine goes against what Paul has been teaching, they're personally attacking Paul and saying that Paul was not the real deal. Right? He wasn't a true minister of God. And so Paul puts his defense, and really the whole letter is uh, dealing with this issue. This passage um, could be looked as an outline of recognizing the real deal when it comes to a pastor or an apostle or a spiritual minister. These are the signs you want to look for. Okay? So the first one Paul says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. So Paul points out that it is the Corinthians themselves that are the epistle of commendation written in his heart. What he means by that is his love for them. Today we're celebrating Father's Day, and uh, how do you know that someone is really the father of the children he claims to be his? Let's say on Father's Day I really wanted people to uh, say Happy Father's Day to me, or whatever it is fathers get on Father's Day, and you know I could hire a child for the day. And I'll take him with me to the store or work or wherever I want to and say, this is my son, right? How do you know that this is the real deal, that he really is a father? Well, there's a slide to go along. All right, well, first of all, he has the T-shirt to prove it. But uh, second, I mean, you can see the affection of the children to the father. Right? If he is a real father, there will be evidence in the relationship. And uh, there will be uh, the same case is if you have a spiritual minister, what Paul is saying, there would be an affection. There would be a love. Paul loved the Corinthians. 
Anyone who knew Paul could tell he loved the Corinthians. They seem to be the only ones who are having a problem recognizing his love for them. And that is why he wrote this letter. We are told in uh, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. And so in 2 Corinthians, we really see Paul's opening his heart and trying to show uh, how much he loved the Corinthians, right? Because that is one of the marks of a true minister of God, that he would actually love them. And it's interesting when we get to chapter 11, I believe, you see the way these false teachers were treating the Corinthians, there was no mark of love at all. Uh, one of the evidences of Paul's love to them, which we noticed uh, last week when Michael was teaching, is he had this opportunity, he says in verse 12 of chapter 2, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was open to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. What Paul said in that passage is he had this great opportunity to, to preach to people the gospel of Christ. The door, the Lord opened a door. How much we would love to see the Lord opening the door of this neighborhood and people coming to know Christ through our preaching of the gospel. And, and that was Paul's situation in us. He was preaching the word. People were coming out. People were getting saved. And he said, I had no rest in my spirit. Why? Because of the Corinthians. I was so worried about the spiritual state, I had to say goodbye. and Say, you know what? I have to move on because I'm looking for Titus. He's coming here, coming to me with news about the Corinthians, and I cannot stay here and minister to you while I am uncertain of the spiritual condition of the Corinthians. That is how much he was burdened for them. And that's a mark of the genuine article, the real deal. That is what a spiritual minister is like. He loves so much the people he's ministering to that he is burdened uh, for them. Second mark is the mark of the ministry. The impact of the ministry tells you if someone is the real deal. Paul says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. The Corinthians were an epistle of Christ, meaning they had the evidence of Christ's work in their life. Paul was the minister that Christ used, right? But there was a change done in their lives. There was uh, an evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in their lives. He changed not stones, but the tablets of flesh, that is, of their heart. They had a new heart. We were thinking this morning at the breaking of bread of the fact that we are a new creation, right? God has done something in my life to change me. The instrument he uses to do it has the mark that God uses that person. Paul appeals to that example in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says in verse 6, 
and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, that so that you became examples to all in Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When Paul went into Thessalonica, uh, the lives of people were changed so dramatically that everybody could tell, you know, Paul went in and something remarkable happened in Thessalonica. You had all these people whose lives were changed. They turned from idols to serve the living God. They were willing to rejoice in the midst of affliction. They sent out the word of the gospel themselves from there, all as a result of Paul coming in there. And so it was a mark that Paul was the genuine article, the real deal. He was a true minister of God. Okay, the third point, or third mark of being the real deal, has to do with how the person regards themselves. Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, <clears throat> but our sufficiency is from God. Paul doesn't think that he is so great in himself that he can change people. He recognizes that the power lies in God. This is what Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, who are you? He would say, I am the chief of sinners for whom Christ died. Uh, this is something that's uh, you know, common to other ministers of Christ. There was a man named John Bradford who was uh, famous for leading the um, Protestant movement in England. Uh, he was martyred, he was burned at the stake for, uh, for his service to God. And uh, he was considered an example of holiness. And uh, <clears throat> he used to say, in spite of that, he used to say, uh, when he would see a group of prisoners being led to execution, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. He realized he wasn't in himself better than these criminals who were being executed. He realized, I have the same tendency to sin in my heart as those people do. It is the grace of God, and the grace of God alone that differentiates uh, my present situation from where I should be with these people uh, being led to execution. So uh, a true minister of God does not have a high opinion of themselves. They recognize that the true power comes from God, and they're just vessels for God to use. The fourth evidence uh, of Paul being um, 
the real deal, is the ministry that he was involved with. He said in verse uh, 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And then he goes to some length to describe what the uh, new covenant, uh, what kind of a ministry the new covenant is and how it is to be differentiated from the old covenant. Paul was a minister of the new covenant. Uh, what is the new covenant? Well, the new covenant is based on the completed work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. God makes peace with you based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. What is the old covenant? The old covenant is the law. God gave Israel the law on Mount Sinai. And their relationship to God was based on their ability to keep that law. Now, it appears from how Paul brings this and other passages in 2 Corinthians that these false teachers who came into Corinth and were attacking Paul could be regarded as ministers of the old covenant. We have an example of that happening in the book of Acts, chapter 15, and verse 1. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. There Paul was in um, Antioch, and there was a work of the Lord going on in Antioch. And uh, people came from Judea, from, if you would, the center. I wouldn't be surprised if they came with letters saying, oh yeah, we are somehow certified ministers of God, and we have a message to you, uh, people of Antioch, <coughs> that uh, say you believe in Jesus. It's not enough. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. You also need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And that would have been just the first of probably a long list of, of things that the Gentiles would have to do, the Gentiles who believed in Jesus would have to do in order to be saved according to the teachers that came from Judea. Now, Paul resisted them and said that is not true, that is not the message of Christ. The message of Christ is what Jesus did plus nothing gets me to heaven. And so because of this, uh, this, uh, this agreement, they agreed to send a committee to Judea to try to settle this issue. And we have a reference to that in Acts 15, verse 5. It says, when they went and they appeared before the believers in Jerusalem and they shared their position, it said in verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So we see here a confusion between the old covenant and the new covenant. Is believing in Jesus enough for your salvation, or do you also need to keep the law of Moses? A very important point. And that's what these teachers were bringing now to the Corinthians. You need to keep the law of Moses 
as well as believe in Jesus in order to be saved. Paul is pointing to himself as the real deal by saying that he is a minister of the new covenant as opposed to of the old covenant. And then he proceeds to show uh, the superiority of the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. Okay? And he starts with Moses. He says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stone, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So first of all, what is he referring to? Anybody remembers the face of Moses shining? <clears throat> when I first read this passage some years ago, I didn't know what it was talking about. So uh, you could turn, or I'll have the verses up there, to Exodus 34. And there we are told, But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So as Moses was in the process of going and spending time with God and then going to the children of Israel and sharing with the children of Israel the commandments God gave him, his face glowed. Okay? And... Uh, I believe that it was God's way of saying what Moses is sharing with you is true. This is, this, this is really God's message to you. And uh, it was to reflect the glory of the commandments that Moses was given to them. The law is glorious. What does glory mean? Revealing the attributes of God. The, the law tells us what God is like. God is love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself actually comes from the Old Testament. That was one of Moses' commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all uh, your soul, and with all your strength. That is from the Old Testament. Right? Now, Jesus repeats those in the New Testament, but these are God's revelation of himself, of what he is like. And he revealed commandment upon commandment to the nation of Israel so they will know what God is like and what God's standards of holiness and perfection and righteousness is. So it was glorious. The Old Covenant is glorious. The ministry of the Old Covenant is glorious, right? But we are told here that the ministry of the Spirit, meaning the New Covenant, is more glorious. What do they mean by that? In John chapter 1, we are told, in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. It is true that Moses revealed the commandments of God, the holiness of God, his righteousness, his perfection, and so it was glorious, but Jesus brought an even greater revelation of God's glory. He showed us God's mercy, God's grace, God's love. How would we know God's love without the cross? Right? So there was a greater revelation of glory in the new covenant. So it's true 
The old covenant was glorious, but the new covenant is more glorious. So that's number one. Number two, the new covenant has better means than the old covenant. The old covenant relied on the letter. This is all the nation of Israel had. They had the letter of the law. They were told what's right and what's wrong, what they ought to do, what they must not do. The problem was they couldn't keep it. Right? They were sinners just like you and I. And faced with the law of God, they failed to keep it. So the old covenant was broken because it relied on their ability to keep the law of God, which they could not do. The new covenant is based on the spirit. It's not my power. It's the spirit power. It's the spirit that opens my eyes right, to the truth of God, the spirit that convicts me, the spirit that makes me born again, the spirit indwelling in me that gives me a desire to please God, to follow him, right? So it's not my power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that, that uh, upholds uh, the new covenant. The new covenant has better results. I, I hinted at it already, but uh, in Romans chapter 3, 19, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What is the result of the old covenant? Condemnation. Condemnation. It shows me that I am not good enough. Right? And so it condemns me. It shows that I am a guilty sinner who deserves the punishment of God. That's what the old covenant does to me. But the new covenant is one that brings life and righteousness. In verse, uh, continuing in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Back to Second Corinthians, it said, Therefore, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The new covenant makes me right with God. How? by God giving me righteousness when I believe in Christ. Right? It's not righteousness that I earn by keeping the law of God. I cannot. But God gives me righteousness as a free gift, the righteousness of his son, by me simply believing in the gospel, believing what Jesus did for me. That's all I do, and it's God that takes care of the righteousness problem. So the new covenant has better results than the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant results in condemnation and death. The New Covenant results in righteousness and life. And finally, the New Covenant uh, made the Old Covenant obsolete. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, it says, in that he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. God, in his economy, 
decided to work with the nation of Israel and give them the old covenant or the first covenant, right, based on the law of God given to them on Mount Sinai. That was God's prerogative. He gave them that particular covenant. But then God said, okay, I have a new covenant, and this new covenant is based on my son and his complete work of redemption for you, right? And so what the passage says, by God saying a new covenant, he made the other one obsolete. Don't try and resurrect an old covenant when God has given us a new one, right? You know, work with the program, okay? God had a program, the old is gone, he has a new one. Don't try to go back and get the old one, right? That's what the Judaizers were doing. So all of this was really Paul's way of showing that he was the real deal, right? The Judaizers going back to the Old Testament, the teachers that were coming to Corinth, were not following God's program. And what they were trying to resurrect was inferior to what Paul has already shared with the Corinthians in, uh, in the New Covenant. Okay. So I think that was number four. Let's see. The first one was uh, Paul's love for them. Second one was the impact Paul ministry had on them. <clears throat> the third one was Paul's humility. The fourth one was Paul's being a minister of the new covenant. And that takes us to the fifth, fifth mark of Paul being the genuine article or the real deal was uh, his clear and straightforward declaration of the truth of God's word. In verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the Judaizers were very limited in their ability of communicating God's truth. Right? Their teaching was probably somewhat confusing, uh, sometimes maybe contradictory, and people could have asked them questions, why should we do this or that, and maybe they didn't even have a good answer for them. And there's two reasons uh, given in this passage for that. The first is external, the second is internal. External, by, by focusing on the Old Testament, they were missing part of the picture, right? Uh, that part of the picture was Christ the Lord. The Old Testament has a lot of pictures of God's plan of salvation. And until one turns to the Lord, they're not going to understand everything that is in the New, in the Old Testament. That's why he says the veil is taken away in Christ. That veil that Moses put on his face is used here as a picture of the fact that, that in the Old Testament, things are still difficult to understand. If, you, if all we had today was the Old Testament, it would be a lot harder for me to, to explain to you all of God's plan of salvation. It's simply lacking, right? Uh, a picture of that we see in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. 
Peter is talking about the prophets of old. He says, of this salvation, the one we're enjoying right now, this salvation, the prophets, meaning the Old Testament, have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. They, the Jews had a real problem dealing with different prophecies in the Old Testament, some speaking about a, a, a suffering Messiah and some speaking about a victorious, glorious Messiah. And often what they would do is they for, would forget about one and just take the one they wanted, right? But they didn't have a full understanding of it because it was just difficult in the Old Testament to understand, right? Until the revelation comes when Christ actually came. Right? And he's the one, even, even his disciples had a hard time understanding until Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And then he opened their eyes and explained to them how all the things in the Old Testament were pointing to him. Right? To kind of fit the pieces together. So it's something that they were just lacking. Uh, the second difficulty really is internal. And the fact that with our human uh, darkness, you know, just a limitation of human understanding, but our sinfulness, we don't naturally understand the things of God. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians, how it really takes the Spirit of God to open our minds and to understand. But with Paul, this was different, right? When he was preaching, he said, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Paul had the full picture now of salvation. He understood that the Old Testament sacrifices were just pointing to Christ and Christ's fulfillment by, by dying for our sins. Right? He had the whole picture now. And he wasn't relying on his own ability. He was relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? This, is the, this is the ministry of the Spirit now. If, if I'm the only one working in this room, I'm useless. But if the Holy Spirit is here and he helps you understand the things that I'm saying and he applies them to your heart, and he encourages you, then there's value in what I'm doing. And the same thing in all ministries of the new covenant. Paul is relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore he is speaking boldly and clearly the truth of God. He is not concerned with um, whatever complications the Judaizers had to deal with. Okay, the last, the sixth and last mark of Paul being the real deal has to be with his approach to achieving personal holiness in the lives of those to whom he ministered. He said, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm focusing on the word liberty here because the Judaizers were not, did not believe in liberty. They believed in the law. People need to be under the law. The law has to control all aspects of their lives in order for them to be holy. I find that today, if I share the gospel, uh, sometimes you'll come across a person that will say, you mean that uh, it doesn't matter what I do, if I believe in Jesus, uh, I can go to heaven. And they'll say, well, what you know, will stop people from doing bad things? Right? I mean, that's, that's the mindset of the Judaizers or the legalists is we have to tell people that if they do this or that, they cannot go to heaven. 
Right? That's the only way we can control people and achieve personal holiness in the lives of people. But Paul says, not so. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The people that I work with, the people that I share the gospel with, the people who believed the gospel have the Holy Spirit. And the result, result of having the Holy Spirit is they are not under the law. The Holy Spirit is working inside them and prompting them to what they should do and gives them the power to do the things that they ought to do. So I am not relying on the law. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul doesn't teach about the law. He will teach about what's right and what's wrong, but he is not applying it as you must do these things in order to be saved, right? Because it's the Holy Spirit that's working in a true believer and gives them a desire to do the things that please God. And that's what Paul was relying on. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord. This is still in the same vein, achieving personal holiness in the lives of the believer is here described as being transformed into the same image that is the image of Christ from glory to glory. But just a couple of things to note about that as we close. Now, first of all, brothers and sisters, uh, we have a, uh, a great opportunity, a great opportunity to reflect in our lives the glory of the Lord. This is, speaks about the present time. I know because it says from glory to glory. This is a process. In heaven, it's not going to be a process. <laughs> Right? You know, when I'm in heaven, I am perfected. Right? There's no more growing in glory. On earth, there is a growing in glory. When I'm saved, God changed me. He gave me a new heart. I am now a new creation. I now desire to do the things of God. But are there issues in my life? Yes, there are still issues in my life. Uh, but uh, during my Christian life on earth, I can grow in my holiness. I can become like the Lord Jesus by degrees, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. I can become more and more like him. I can reflect the glory of God. I can become like God on earth. Right? Never reaching that perfection that we will have in heaven, but we can grow toward that target. So we have a, an excellent uh, hope in this world. The second is we're told here what the means are for growth. <clears throat> it says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. How do we become more like the Lord Jesus? It is done by looking at him, looking at the Lord Jesus. Jesus uh, sorry, Bill said in his commentary, here, in a word, is the secret of Christian holiness, occupation with Christ, not by occupation with self. That brings only defeat. Not by occupation with others. That brings disappointment. But by occupation with the glory of the Lord, we become more and more like him.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and uh, him being our Savior. We realize it's not what these hands have done that, uh, that uh, earned us a place in heaven, but it is what the hands of Christ have done, have accomplished for us on the cross that we have a place with you for all of eternity. We thank you for your high calling to us to become more and more like you in this world and ask that you help us do so as we look to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.